On December 7th, 2023, day 16 of season 99 of Learned League, we learned of a geographical term for a long and gradual curvature in a shoreline that forms a large open bay. I'm Ben Rothenberg, and I later learned about bites, like the great Australian bite, and found myself at sea wondering why, when we whittle away which water is what and where, why we're wildly wishy-washy. Let's start briefly on the different types of bodies of water we have decided exist, which is the crux of this question. We humans just love it when water meets land, and the English language has developed so many names for different types of bodies of water to try to sort them all. And a lot of them are pretty redundant. River, stream, creek, brook are all words for flowing water over land, just in descending size, how I named them, roughly. Stream, creek, and brook are fairly interchangeable. And then in the eastern U.S. alone, we have lots of regional names for these things, too. Branch is used in Maryland and Virginia. I live not far from Broad Branch in Washington, D.C. off Rock Creek. Run is a term around here, too, like Bull Run, as in the Battle of Bull Run. Up in the nearby states that were formerly Dutch territory, New Netherland, you may remember from the new episode back in episode three, they use the word kill, which derives from a Dutch word and makes creeks sound far more lethal and murderous than they ever really need to sound. These words are all meaningfully interchangeable for the most part, and that goes for the answer of today's question, bite. Bite is just a bay that is slightly less concave and enclosed than an average bay. They have the same word origin, too. Bite comes from an Old English word for bay. A sound is just a bay that's deeper. A fjord is just a sound that's narrower. So there's a lot of gray area on famous bodies of water, what they actually are versus what they're called. For one example, Hudson Bay is actually also a large inland sea, and Hudson Bay is also a gulf by most definitions. Hudson Bay is probably also a bay, but honestly, the case for that seems like the least convincing of the three. The other thing that's ambiguous about names for bodies of water, I became increasingly aware as I prepared this episode, is that we as a species are not very good at agreeing where they are. So many places on Earth, you could be treading water and be in two, three, or four bodies of water at once, arguably maybe more. Like in the waters right off New York City, you could be in the Hudson River Estuary, or the New York Bight, or the Mid-Atlantic Bight, or the Atlantic Ocean, all of those at once, and very possibly some other stuff too. One of the best known examples of this is probably the Mediterranean Sea, which has 15 marginal seas within itself. While in the Mediterranean, you might be in the Libyan Sea, or the Levantine Sea, or the Ionian Sea, or the Adriatic Sea, or the Aegean Sea all while still being in the Mediterranean. And while in the Mediterranean, if you're in the Aegean Sea, you might also be in the Icarian Sea, or the Thracian Sea, or the Myrtoan Sea, or the Sea of Crete. Or you might just be in the 20% roughly of the Mediterranean, which is just the Mediterranean and not any smaller sea. It's tough to say. And sometimes people from afar have their own names for things that locals don't use. I learned today, for example, that German cartographers, in the grand tradition we've covered of Europeans naming things after European places, have a concept of something called the American Mediterranean Sea, which we in America refer to as two separate bodies of water, the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea. To those German cartographers, those are one big thing. And if this American Mediterranean Sea exists, it's the world's third largest sea. But does it exist? I mean, who knows anymore? So you really often can't be confident what water you're in. It's not easy. Let's go back to the Great Australian Bight. Where is it? That's not clear. The upper limit of it is pretty clear. There's the southern coast of Australia, and folks agree on that. But the bottom of the bite, the underbite, who knows? The Australian Hydrographic Service draws a line of bite marks that connect two points on the Australian continent, and they say it's pretty close to mainland Australia, their definition of the Great Australian Bight. But the International Hydrographic Organization draws a southern bite line, which ends its eastern limit on the southern tip of Tasmania, making the Great Australian Bight about four times as big as the Australians think it is. And the confusion continues from there. 
The International Hydrographic Organization says the Great Australian Bight is part of the Indian Ocean, but the Australian Hydrographic Service says the Great Australian Bight is part of the Southern Ocean. Yeah, the Southern Ocean. As a kid who grew up competing in geography beats when there were only four oceans, the arrival of the Southern Ocean caught me completely off guard as an adult. I feel like for all the hand-wringing we did over losing Pluto as a planet, we didn't do nearly as much over our own planet gaining a whole new ocean while we weren't looking around 2002, and what that might mean. For example, Australian cartographical societies think their whole southern coast borders this newfangled southern ocean. This means they think Australia now borders three oceans, and that's a trivia distinction which Canada, in my childhood, used to have undisputed. Other mapmakers have been slow to agree or still don't agree on this southern ocean where it is or isn't. A lot of them say it kind of hugs closer as a tight donut around Antarctica, only reaching about as far north as the 60th parallel of the southern hemisphere. The Southern Ocean wasn't and still isn't a readily popular idea, even with experts. The National Geographic Society took until 2021 to recognize the Southern Ocean. And sadly, they can't even give kids points for knowing about the Southern Ocean now. The last geography bee they held was in 2019, and then the contest was canceled. But if I was a kid trying to study these days, these seas would drive me nuts anyhow. You would think that the big things on maps would have clear borders, but I learned that so often when it comes to naming smaller parts of big bodies of water, the boundaries are less about clear demarcations and borders, and more just about vibes. So thank you for vibing with I Later Learn today. And as always, if you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and stay up to date with our output by subscribing on Apple or Spotify or wherever. And leave us reviews or just the stars on those apps. Those help a bunch. And you can join fellow listeners to discuss the show on the Learnedly message boards on the Learnedly Facebook group. And you can email the show at ilaterlearned at gmail.com. Until next time, here's to learning.